Welcome to the Marketing Technology Podcast. News, tools, and tips from marketing technology companies and the marketers using them. Here's Douglas Carr. Well, welcome everybody to another in our interview series. And this time we have pioneer Dave Taylor on the line. Dave, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine. My covered wagon is doing well. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I got to tell you, you might not even realize this, but there was a time uh, I was out in San Diego. I think it was social media marketing world. And I was sitting in the casino resting because I'm a big guy and it was a long walk to the conference and you were walking straight towards me and I was like, oh my God, that's Dave Taylor. And um, I got up and I said, hey, hey Dave. And you said, hi, Doug. And and I almost fainted like a 12 year old girl. <laughs> Thank you for not fainting because that would probably have been a scarring experience. <laughs> No, I I mean, I started, let's see, you started your internet career really before, um, as the internet was getting uh, constructed, right? You were in the computer business and everything else. Yeah, actually, I got involved when it was the ARPANET. Right. Weird, because I'm only 27, so go for (laughs) it. <laughs> Fantastic, and uh, and and so you know the funny thing is is for for people you know and we have some young followers that are listening right now. I started my internet career in 1992, and that was um, I was working for a company, Landmark, who had a company, Infinite, that was taking. Uh, newspapers online. So when you think about the internet today and how it's changed, you know, in the last decade or whatever, I didn't even start until a decade into it. And, and it was brand new. I, I mean, I really feel like it was brand new when I got involved. Yep. So I can go back far enough that I actually attended the meetings of the, what was called commercial internet exchange where we debated whether to allow commercial use of this educational and research network. Isn't that incredible? And, and boy, thank goodness you guys made a great decision there, huh? Well, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's probably like 70% positive. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is Reddit. <laughs> Well, the rest might involve Eastern Europe, but yeah. we can say that. Yeah, that's true. That's true, uh, of course. And and now, uh, so you have, of course, AskDaveTaylor.com where people, and, you, and you, you're fairly open, um, you know, to, to people getting a hold of you and asking you questions and answering questions online, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't know whether I was destined for a life of service or what, but... Um, I enjoy getting email from people and get lots of questions and help people out as best I can. And when they become interesting and complicated questions, I post them. But I get a lot of email, too. And I maybe shouldn't say that because I'm not sure I want more. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I'm really at the front lines of sort of the pain point that people have with modern technology, whether it's trying to figure out how to get a book onto their Kindle or whether it's trying to figure out why the antivirus software isn't working properly on their computer. Right, right. And and now your children are involved too as well, right? Yeah, on and off. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to motivate a teen to be consistent in their output. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, each of my kids has done various things. And at this point right now, I think my daughter, my younger daughter is the most enthused, where she's doing some videos on my YouTube channel. 
And uh, we actually cut a deal with Singer Sewing Machines. So she is perhaps the only 12-year-old that actually Singer has sent a free sewing machine to. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that see that just I when when I told my kids about the internet, you know, and growing up, they of course all they saw was the back of my head half the time at the house. But um, but as I was as as they were growing up, I was you know just telling them how important it was. And when they went to college, I, I know my son was um, I, I'll brag it brag him up a little bit, but he's getting his PhD in math, and he's really really just a an incredibly brilliant kid. And I remember telling him every time he went to. A conference, I was like, hey, make sure you get some business cards and connect to those people on LinkedIn, you know, being the good marketer I am. Yeah. And, and he would go, ah, oh, dad, shut up. <laughs> uh, feel the respect. <laughs> yeah. And now, now that they're, you know, a decade in themselves, now they're going, boy, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have had some of those foundations built now. And, and it's not too late. They're building them now. Yeah. So you have that fabulous thing that I don't yet have because of the age difference, but you're at the point now where your children actually are starting to suspect that you might be other than completely clueless. <laughs> yes. Yes. There are those stages. I think I was, I think I was the dumbest person on earth for about 10 years there. Yeah. I think that goes with the territory when you're a parent, you, you know, you are inherently embarrassing. Yeah. You are way less clueful than everyone else, particularly your best friend's parents who seem to be really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Every parent goes through it. I'm sure. Are you a marketing technology company looking to increase your market share? Contact Doug and his team at DK New Media for information on their public relations, search engine marketing, and content strategies, including a dedicated show on this podcast. Email info at dknewmedia.com. Dave, one of the things that we wanted to talk about with you today was because you keep your finger on the pulse of technology, um, you're always in attendance every year for CES, and that's the Consumer Electronics Show. Um, and and this year is a, I, I feel like this year is a pretty exciting year with uh, virtual reality and self-driving cars and drones and um, you name it. But I wanted to get a feel from you, especially for our audience. Uh, uh, what what did you see there that really you, you thought, wow, this is a game changer? Right. So first off, let's set the stage. Las Vegas, 178,000 attendees, 3,800 exhibitors, 2.2 million square feet of exhibit space. Wow. So, Incredible. So think of this as like your local Best Buy on some way out of control illegal steroids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it really does. I go and um, I have been going for a long time. I'm actually one of the judges for the Innovation Awards, which is kind of fun. Um, but it takes me four days to walk the show. That's incredible. I mean, it's just crazy busy. Um, but it's also a great opportunity to see among, you know, among other things, you get to see this sort of trickle down effect of the commoditization of technology. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you'll see, say, someone like LG or Samsung or Sony will introduce a new technology. And then the next year, you'll see, if you will, the sort of second tier consumer electronic companies. And by three or four years into it, 
everyone and their brother, you know, these little no-name companies out of Taiwan and China and um, Asia are making these little knockoffs for 20 cents on the dollar. And every year, someone gets in trouble with patents and trademarks. So this year, they actually had, um, I'm not sure whether they were sheriffs or what, but this company was actually shut down and their products physically removed from the show for trademark violations. Wow. And it was to do with what they call hoverboards, which went from a little tiny bit of interest last year to, oh my God, there must have been at least 100 vendors showing off their version of the hoverboard. And, uh, and, and was there a lot of fires in the place? Um, no, they came with asbestos shoes. I thought that was really ingenious. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, but that's pretty that's pretty interesting. Now, was that was that the show that made a conscious decision to do that, or was that a you know a, you know regulations pushed you know from a government standpoint uh, on on trying to attack that? Yeah, from what I understand, it was the company that actually owned the patent. And I think they must have just gotten really upset with this little knockoff company, probably using all their um, trade dress and probably using their trademarks and everything. And, you know, um, it happens every year. I remember a couple of years ago, there was this little tiny um, knockoff manufacturing company. And, and to sort of put that in context, too, the major manufacturers contract with like Chinese and Taiwanese manufacturers to actually make things. So if you're Apple, you're using someone like Foxconn in China right. to make your iPhone. So Foxconn, maybe not them specifically, but a lot of these companies then say, well, since we already have all the dyes and we already have all the assembly line made and we already have all the chips built, why don't we make our own too? And they'll be just like theirs. Right. And of course, there's some issues of intellectual property. <laughs> but a couple of years ago, I remember this company had what they called the iPod. So it was two, two letter eyes instead of one. And I remember going by at the beginning of the show and they had their little exhibit and it was like, wow, those sure look a lot like Apple iPods. Yeah. And two days later, they were no longer in their booth. <laughs> wow. Well, that's good. That's good. I mean, I, 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 I think that's especially with the speed, especially overseas, right? Because they can tool up and, and, and get a manufacturing facility going almost overnight. And so I'm, I'm sure deconstruction and de-engineering of, of, you know, the, the incredible innovative tools that are being made right now, uh, that's a full-time job over there, right? Yeah. Oh, it's it's, you know, another bizarre thing at CES is you'll go into a booth and they'll be engineers from a competitor with tape measures and notebooks. And they will be literally standing there completely unabashedly measuring and writing down and trying to reverse engineer things like, you know, eighth of an inch thick televisions, things like that. Wow. And you just watch this and you're like, so the company that actually owns this product. Why wouldn't they just hire security to hustle these people out? But yeah. See it every year. It's just, I guess that's just part of the show. But yeah. And my guess is it's ultimately, it's probably unstoppable, right? Yeah. I mean, if you have a product, I can go buy one and then slowly disassemble it and figure out every single chip and every single screw, you know? It makes me wonder, like, uh, like uh, I have. You know, I'm an Apple fanboy, of course, and, and and I have a new MacBook Pro, and I bought it with a uh, like a, I think it was the 500 gig hard drive, and uh, and said, you know, well, I'll I'll you know I'll put a nice you know 
two terabyte SSD in there later. And I didn't realize that the new MacBook Pros, there is no hard drive. The hard drive is, you know, basically mounted to the to the motherboard. And um and so there is no <laughs> there is no upgrade. And uh and it seems to be like that's the direction that we're heading where we're just gonna have these concealed units that are just one big blob of electronics that nobody can undo or trade out or swap or anything. Yeah, it certainly locks you into a vendor. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah. So, so going around the show, what did you see that uh, you know? I, I mean, I really want your opinion as someone who has you know you're there every single year. This year, what did you see that that was really exciting for you? Well, the two things I thought were interesting was that televisions were not front and center like they have been for many years. I think that. The companies, you know, 3D has pretty much died away. No one talks about that anymore. And 4K TVs are now out there. So the incremental improvements in television technologies are kind of slowing down a bit. I mean, there's gorgeous screens, there's high definition, there's, you know, greater contrast and greater lumens. But TVs weren't a big deal like they were two years ago or even last year. And I say that as someone that owns a 4K TV and keeps waiting to actually get content for it. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But what I thought was really interesting and something I'm really interested in generally is home automation and smart homes. And this was the year that we saw a lot of new companies enter that market. Companies like Lutron that make light switches. And they're like, oh, you know what? We can make these smart and we can put in a hub and now we have the center of a smart home. So this is going all the way from LG introduced a smart home hub built into its televisions to Amazon with its terrific little Echo device. That actually is really growing up to being a really nice smart home central control device with voice interface. Yeah, that's one that excites me as well. I was I, back in my old days. I was an electrician. Um, strangely enough, that's how I got into uh, electronics. Was I came through the PLC controller um, into the internet world. <laughs> but but uh, I I have been wanting to do home automation uh, with my own home forever. And I just don't see the quality of merchandise there. It's either some proprietary system that you buy from the cable company that you're locked in on with with fairly inflexible, you know, tools like, you know, I have a programmable thermometer that I can get, you know, through on the Internet and I have, you know, a drop cam, you know, or Nest, you know, video and and things like that. But they're just not sophisticated at this point. So I'm I'm it's funny because I remember Cisco 10 years ago was looking at building, you know, getting into the home automation space really heavy. And I was I was incredibly, you know, excited about that. And then most recently, I have an Amazon Echo and I bought a um, I bought a Wemo outlet and I'm going to call them out by name. But I I have yet to get it actually working. I've gone through the process 80 times and through the frustration and everything else. And, and to this day, I still don't have it where it'll, you know, connect to the network and and uh, reboot and and work as, you know, as advertised. And it's really a frustrating, you know, process uh, to, to try to get, you know, 
take and download an app, disconnect your phone from the network, connect it to the device, then set the internet settings, then reboot, then hope it's on the network, then connect through the network to it, then set it up. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's still a bear today to do this stuff. Yeah. Well, I have a, (laughs) I have off the charts number of different smart home elements in my home. And what I like to say is I have a smart home one stupid step at a time yeah. <laughs> because I have, I have, I think, nine apps on my phone to control different facets. You know, like I have a garage door opener that has an Internet interface, and that's nice, but it's the only thing that company makes. Right. You know, I have what? I have the um, Nest thermostat and the Nest Protect, but the Nest Protect doesn't actually network with my kidda you know smart smoke alarms and stuff right it's like i really i'm waiting and i still haven't seen any companies put a lot of effort into coming up with the hub where they just say you know you have a lot of disparate products we can't tell you go and buy everything from our company so we're going to build a tool that understands all of this and i think that amazon wants to go in that direction and the challenge is for a company like that, it's really sort of the Google challenge is put enough wood behind that arrowhead to make it substantial. Now, wasn't that the goal, you know, years ago? Wasn't that, you know, the dream of Java, you know, was that it could have, you know, it could be, you know, controlling every device in your house kind of thing. And, and, uh, and, and of course, Java has since faded, uh, you know, from the limelight now. But, you know, do you think that there's a open source protocol that's around the corner there or what um i think the problem is is that (laughs) to quote um who was it scott mcneely um the standards are great everyone should have one (laughs) 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 you know there are standards out there there are specs there are open source protocols you know there's things like um uh, i'm blanking x dot something or the other um and zigbee and all of these and they're all mutually incompatible. And then every vendor says, well, we don't need to license that and pay actual money. We'll just create our own. Right. And, you know, what's really going to need to happen is us consumers are going to need to say, stop. We're not going to buy that product until it talks to this product. Yeah. And yeah. you merchants, you vendors are going to have to figure out how to play nice. And this is, to some extent, I think this is sort of the history of the electronics industry anyway, you know, where there's incompatibilities that people then get sufficiently frustrated by that the vendors figure it out. You know, even things like TCP IP, which is the underlying protocol of the Internet, there used to be things, and I actually attended some, called TCP bake-offs or TCP IP bake-offs. And the idea was that prior to that, every vendor would have its own networking protocol. So if you had Digital Equipment Corporation computers, they were perfectly happy talking to other DEC computers, but they couldn't talk to an HP or an IBM. Right. And the promise of TCP IP was, let's have a shared protocol that everyone could work with. And I will tell you that I worked at Hewlett Packard in their research labs, and I can remember HP engineers saying, well, let's fix TCP IP so it works better. (laughs) And it's just like, that's exactly the problem. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Let's let's instead let's innovate based on a protocol that's already in place. 
and 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 move on. And and the promise of a of a smart home for people that are listening that would say, oh, I'm I'm not even interested in it. I'll, I'll give you a perfect. I have a Honeywell programmable thermostat that I can password protect so it stops my daughter from turning it up to 80 degrees, you know, during the winter. And 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 when I leave the house, it turns the temperature down, you know, like five or six degrees. When I before I get home, it turns it back up. And I save I save at least a hundred dollars a month on my electric bill just because I put in a programmable thermostat. Now you multiply that by lighting, by you know, but by everything in your house, devices, everything else. And the promise here isn't just you know a money saving. The promise is really just a, a, a across every household in the United States that you can really get some incredible savings from an energy standpoint that have have been unseen to this point. Right. Well, and you know, let me give you a different example. Is I have a, um, a Schlage, Schlage. I never remember how to pronounce that company's name. Um, programmable deadbolt, and I have a security system, and it's all internet based, and I don't pay any monthly subscription fees for any of it. And I can give, say, a house cleaner um, a special code that works just once on my front door, and then I'll get a notification when they come in. Nice. And if nice. they come back six hours later, I'll get a notification that it was tried and failed or a notification that the door opened again. And it's like, huh, that's interesting. Why did that occur? Right. Yeah. And it, we have the um, we have the drop cam now Nest owns them, but we have that at our office. And I love it. I get a little notification whenever anybody goes into our office because we give we've given a ton of people different keys, you know, that that want to use it downtown. And and uh, and so I'll, I'll get one connect on. Actually, I get a little picture in my email of and I can see who's you know, who's just walked into the office. And so it's and we use it. We use it you know, constantly like, Hey, let me check to see if anybody's at the office and I'll head down there. Um, otherwise I'll just stay and work from home today. Right. And then when people decide that they can have their little trysts on the side, you have excellent blackmail. <laughs> yeah. You want to raise? Let's look at this video. We do have a couch down there. So don't say that. That's <laughs> <laughs> Infographics and white papers continue to lead search and content strategies throughout the web. DK New Media researches, designs, and promotes the best informational graphic and most well-produced white papers in the industry. Contact Doug and his team at DK New Media for additional information. Email info at dknewmedia.com. But there's, uh, yeah, so so home automation, and that's everything from sound systems to, to integration, I think. You know, I think eventually Apple, uh, Amazon, you already mentioned, you know, they've got apps built, you know, with Amazon as well. And, and, and they've, they've I, I think they've kind of opened up the, um, opened the Komodo on what they're trying to, to do and want more vendors involved with that. We love the Echo. I, I'll tell you, I, I, I opened it at the office, tested it at the office, and it never made it home. Um, it's, it's now the, now it's the office's Echo, and I have to buy another one for home sometime. Yeah, well, I mean, I have one too, and I love it, and I use it for music a lot, even though I have yeah. our better audio systems, and I'm pretty darn convinced that when my oldest gets to college, it's going to be in her dorm room. Yes, is that right? Because <laughs> it just strikes me as like the perfect dorm accessory. Yeah. 
you know, alarms. It can do math. It can tell you things from Wikipedia while you're studying. And it can access a huge amount of music. And now it even does Spotify. Right, right. Right. And, and it sounds fantastic for a, for, for a device that sits in the middle of a room. It, it sounds amazing. Yep. So, so let's go back to CES because I know we're wandering. Yep, we are. That's okay. <laughs> so we talked about um, home automation. We talked about TVs. Um, you asked about drones or you mentioned drones. And I have to say, I think drones are at an interesting point in time because – they're really becoming commodities, but it turns out that they're really hard to fly. And there's all sorts of issues that we are sort of ahead of ourselves with in terms of both safety and privacy. And I think drones are going to have a bit of a hiccup in their popularity because it's going to end up where anything that's any decent size as opposed to a little you know, $29 Radio Shack special any decent sized drone, you're going to end up having to license through the um, FCC um, or FAA, whatever it is. And that's going to slow adoption way down. And even last week, there was some guy who was arrested because he was flying a drone and it crashed into the Empire State Building. Yeah, I saw that. And they actually tracked the guy down and figured out who it was, which I think was probably a pretty interesting job of detection because um, you could fly it off of any balcony on any building near it. Right. Right. Yeah. In fact, uh, my next door neighbor has one and is constantly out there flying. And he told me that, uh, you know, his his first one flew away. He lost it. The wind blew and it that's all it took was once the wind blew it, it, it just took it. And it was pretty interesting because I asked him, I was like, well, wasn't that expensive? And he goes, well, the controller is really expensive. The actual drone isn't too expensive. So I just I just replaced the drone. <laughs> And I was like, wow, so they're disposable. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in like the far, far flung regions of the world, there's some drone slowly landing at these yeah. people in some strange dialect are saying, what has God given us? Yeah, it, 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 to me, the, the most interesting thing about drones, and maybe it's not the most interesting to other people, is how it's changing um videography uh you know as now i'm watching movies you can tell the drone scenes now and and uh you know no more renting helicopters right and carrying mass pieces of equipment up now now you just have these incredible drones with hd cameras on them and, and that are going up and and doing the filming it's pretty pretty incredible yeah and often they get better footage than a helicopter because they're more maneuverable yeah 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 so fourth thing and then we'll, we'll go on to another topic. But, yep. Um, autonomous vehicles. I am super excited about those. I do a lot of long drives, and there are definitely times when it's like, all right, for the next 80 miles, I have nothing but open highway. Right. And the car, please drive so I can have a nap. Um, and there was a lot going on there. But what I think is really interesting is that we're seeing a lot of pieces of autonomous cars already showing up in vehicles. So, you know, there are things like smart cruise control where it doesn't just blindly keep you at speed, even if you're going to crash into someone. It actually analyzes the traffic around you and it will slow down as needed, even if you aren't paying attention. Yeah, it's it. I, I'm with you. I, I drive down to Florida uh, about once a quarter and there's some there's some points there where. You know, it's there's nobody on the road. It would it, I would love to be able to just, you know, turn on something and then listen to music and relax a little bit. 
Now, now I, I have been watching though that the, there's still a lot of pushback from a, a, a basic fear that consumers have, right? That they've had, they feel like they've been in control of this four thousand pound beast that they're rolling down the highway at eighty miles an hour, and they feel like you know that that that's one of the curves to kind of get over is people's fear of letting the machine take over. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely an issue. Um, but that's what I'm saying is that I think, you know, people have this idea of like in some bad science fiction film where there's a robot driving your taxi or something. Right. Um, but we're already getting these pieces. You know, we already have cars in the field that park themselves. We already right. have cars in the field that will break because you're not paying attention because you're probably texting while you're driving. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's not like we're going to go from zero to complete autonomy. Uh, it's going to be something that's going to be incremental. And I'll also say that just like with um, telephone wires, the last mile is probably going to stay unautomated for a long time. I think that we're going to see like the first real automation is going to be your car can drive itself on the highway. But as you get to an off ramp, it will then hand control back to you so you can maneuver on city streets. Yeah, yeah. You know, and again, I think people think that they just are sitting in the back seat and the car is driving itself, and that is somewhat terrifying. But if you imagine that you're still in the driver's seat, there's still a gas pedal, there's still a steering wheel, and basically there are just certain moments when the car says, "I got this," and you know, you can just relax for a bit. Now, uh, now, have you read any of the articles? And I, I think they're pretty fascinating. Where. We're gonna to have to teach the autonomous cars how to who to kill. <laughs> yeah, I've been working on that with my car, but it doesn't seem to take. Yeah. <laughs> but two cars heading into a disaster where you know someone you know it could be a dangerous situation for both sides has to make a decision, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and and you realize that. The, the sort of inherent challenge is that we as humans aren't great drivers. Right. That's the big one. Right. Right. And that's really where it gets hard because if you could have a world where every vehicle simultaneously at one moment switched over to being autonomous, we'd probably do pretty well. Oh, my God. We wouldn't have to have eight lane highways, right? You know, we could have two lanes with everybody bumper to bumper driving 120 miles an hour. Yeah, you know, but the problem is, is that you're going to do that, and then there's going to be, you know, pops will pull on in his old Edsel, and yeah. be like, I'm going to because you guys are going to do fast. Yeah, and 300 people dead. Yeah, exactly. Pops was killed by 300 autonomous cars. And not to mention those poor robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that. That is a fascinating direction that we're heading there. Looks like you already visited at home this spring. The patio looks great, but why the makeover? Because we're hosting the block party. Because Sunday dinner's moved outdoors. Because, oh, Hunter's graduation and Emily's baby shower. And because sometimes I can just sit back and enjoy it. Explore at home's expanded selection of patio decor, like cushions starting at $9.99 and garden themes from modern to coastal. At home, the home decor superstore. Any style, any budget, any reason to redecorate. Visit one of our three Austin area at home superstores today. All right, what's next? Um, what's next? Um, I don't know. What's next, Doug? I saw um, I saw some of the stuff at CES. Actually, you know what? Let's take a, a side. So I was 
watching Robert Scoble talking about virtual reality glasses and really waxing poetic that he thought that um, this was the next iPod, that this was the next humongous change in people's behavior. And I and I found I'm always a skeptic, you know, but but I his big thing was that he felt that in a couple of years, we're all just going to be wearing glasses and we won't even carry a phone around with us anymore. And my, my I felt a little bit uncomfortable with that. I felt like I like to be a little bit disconnected from my device. I like it to be at an arm's length away. I don't I don't feel like a, I have an Apple Watch and I bought Google Glasses just to check them out, but I, I don't feel like I want to be that connected to, to the world from a technology standpoint. Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, I think VR has some really huge fundamental obstacles. I think it's very much analogous to 3D TV. I think it, there's two reasons for that. One is content. And the other one is just the sort of kinesthetic experience of VR. Um, yeah. I've used a lot of different VRs. I've done, you know, tried Oculus Rift and all this stuff. And they're cool. You know, there's there's a real um, gee whiz factor about it. But you're also wearing, you know, two, three, four pounds worth of gear on your head. And it's shutting you out from your existing reality and everything. And that might be fun for a gamer, or it might be fun for a few minutes to have like a virtual walkthrough of the Smithsonian or something. But in terms of it being a big, huge trend, I really like Robert. I think he's a very um, sharp guy. I think he's a little over-optimistic about this. Yeah, yeah. I I felt the same. And I, I love the guy. I, I, I think he's I, – I feel like he's um, – I don't know what the right word is, you know, in a world full of uh, technology folks that are these you know, uber thought leaders and everything. And you're in the same boat. I feel like some of us are blue collar. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't try to get heady and futurist. We're talking about the real practical usage of these things. And 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 uh, and so so I, I I tend to feel the same way when I'm talking to Robert and I see what he's saying. I see, oh, this guy's down to earth and practical on it, but I'm not quite seeing the magic, uh, with, with virtual reality yet. And who knows, maybe that'll change. But, um, but I, I still love the fact that now where I think I'm, where I think we're going is I'm not sure about the future of laptops and tablets and everything else. I feel like, you know, once, once we get enough computing power that each of us can have a mobile device and then we can have screens everywhere that we go, that we can just, plop our phone down and and put our computer on screen um and i'm not and i'm not sure what the future is of you know having all of these hefty computing devices that we're carrying around all the time yeah i mean that's an interesting one to look at because you know what we've seen in the last couple of years is the rise of the convertible where it's sort of a tablet with a a a harder keyboard and i think the winner in that category right now is the microsoft surface pro 4 and i'm really really impressed with how often i see those now whereas even 12 months ago it was pretty rare to see any microsoft products in the wild but yeah that's a real home run for those guys and it's because it's a nice tablet and it has a keyboard and it has a real operating system so you really get sort of the best of all worlds um, but there's still physical constraints. I mean, you know, I've seen screens that you can roll up, for example, 
But, you know, I don't know that I necessarily want to have a pair of goggles I put on for privacy because now I can't be aware of what's going on around me. And some guy comes and, you know, steals my latte at Starbucks. I'm like, I have no idea because I'm plugged into my VR headset. (laughs) Right, right. Interesting. And I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to wrestle with because, you know, just like there are people that like being in their basement with their super heavy-duty PC gaming rig and they don't really care if they unplug. And interestingly, that's a huge issue for male teens in Japan. Um, there's actually some medical ailments that they've now come up with and you know, to diagnose these kids that they're 18, 20, 23 years old and they don't leave the house ever, ever. And that's alarming because we are social creatures and I think the more that we shut down, the more we will be unhealthy and the more it sort of spells the sort of <laughs> gradual demise of the human race. Yeah, I, I, and I don't think that that's um, – I don't think you say that lightly and I, I tend to agree with you. I feel like that you know, the incredible thing about the internet in, in, in my lifetime has been its ability to connect me – uh, with people and eventually, you know, press the flesh with them, you know, to shake hands and to go out and meet and to learn about these things. And I feel like the that's the promise of it is it gets you to the connection in in the human interaction and and it's the transport mechanism for that. But I don't think it's it's uh, it's absolutely not an alternative for it. It's it is not. It is not the same thing as looking someone in the face and hearing their voice and and seeing them smile. And, and, and uh, of course, you know, the you only need to look at all the Facebook arguments, you know, to see that, you know, how how uh, how it doesn't work, you know, as a communication medium by itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I watched the Super Bowl yesterday by inviting over a dozen of my best friends and we had a party. And right. It was way more fun than if I had sat there by myself and watched on Twitter what people were saying. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for making me feel good. <laughs> what, you're a Panthers fan? No, I was on Twitter by myself. <laughs> you should have come over. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, how about those, uh, what is it, the Denverapolis Broncolts? Huh? Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Well, Peyton Manning, he was with the Colts first, so... Um, yeah, whatever. He's I, just one of the players. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not a huge hardcore fan. I just enjoy the social experience of something like the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. In fact, I was I was in between, like, I was on my computer in my office, and then I would walk out and watch a couple commercials and then go back in and stuff. So I'm I'm kind of the same way. I'm, I'm not a huge sports fan, but but I like to see the new commercials and the and hear, and, and watch everybody's reactions to how crappy a halftime show is. Even though I kind of like the halftime show, I, I guess I was in a minority, though. There was a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Dave, how can how can people get a hold of you online? So best place to start is probably just askdavetaylor.com. But if you really want to find me on different social networks and stuff, you can also go to davetaylorline.com. And that's just sort of like a, um, I don't know, a bookmark page where I point to all my different presences on all the different social media. 
Yeah, well, it, I hope that we can do this every year after CES and and uh, and get your input. Um, I'm going to write a you know post around this, and we'll have this podcast up in you know in about a week. But I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, you bet! It's been a pleasure to catch up with you, Doug. Thanks, Dave. And if you ever need uh, if you ever need something from me, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm not sure how I can help a master like you, but um, if you need an underling for something, let me know. Well, I need 20 bucks to cover a bet from the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it on Facebook pay you right now. Subscribe online at marketingtechblog.com. Subscribe to our email, download our app, or follow us on social media. 